there's um, evidence of um, Pacific people not feeling welcome when they walk into, you know, providers, health providers, even in hospitals. Um, so, you know, th those are the sort of things that can de-escalate common stresses for um, Māori and Pacific people. Kia ora and welcome to PhD Unpacked, a coalesce-produced podcast where we make academic research more accessible by interviewing the authors of compelling and contemporary New Zealand PhDs. I'm Kimberly, and I'll be the narrator for this episode. Today, we're joined by the wonderful Dr. Hana Tuisano, the first Tokelauan to complete her doctorate in New Zealand, which she did at Te Kuninga Ke Purehurua, Massey University. She's a registered nurse with over 20 years of first-hand experience working in both the Aotearoa and Tokelau healthcare systems. Hana has also been a nurse advisor and a lecturer at Massey University and Fitirea Community Polytechnic in the Bachelor of Nursing programs. As one of the most generous and caring people we've ever had the privilege of interviewing on PhD Unpacked, Hana's ethos to her work and life has deep roots in community values and kainga, family. You'll hear from me a few times during the episode to give some context to the discussion. But for now, I'll leave you with our host James and Hana, who starts off with the welcome in Tokelauan. Maloni James, um, talohatu, and haka talohatu hoki kinati no haka tatokai nga haka longolongo maite polokalamete ne. Um, thanks, James. Um, I'm fine at the moment. I'm really, really excited about this opportunity and just want to say thank you to you and the crew. And yeah, that's me for the time. It is our absolute pleasure. We're stoked to have you. And of course, we're here today to discuss your 2021 published PhD thesis titled Maupopo, A Social, Socio-Cultural and Collective Understanding to Improve Wellbeing Amongst Pacific People in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Before we get into your research, can you tell us a little bit about your personal background and I guess how and why you came to write this PhD specifically? Thanks. Um, I guess uh, in terms of background, who I am uh, as a, a Takelau and uh, born in New Zealand and uh, so grew up in Dunedin, uh, sorry, born in Dunedin and raised in Invercargill. But coming about to do this PhD, um, my background, my um, grand, my forefathers on my grandmother Gilehi's side uh, were scholars and uh, my grandfather's um, Fala and Hulipo and their brothers, they were also uh, scholars. Uh, however, uh, as time progressed, um, I wasn't that much of an A-grade student. However, in saying that, I was very, very passionate about nursing, health and those sort of things. So I became a nurse um, and I was inspired by a lot of my two aunts, my dad's sister, um, Epinesa, and my mum's sister, Hanila, who were also nurses. So when I finished school, they um, got me into uh, nursing. And um, throughout that career of nurse aiding, the nurses in that department um, encouraged me to apply for nursing, and I went through and applied. Um, I got turned down several times. However, you just keep going in what you believe in and applied three times into the nursing courses and then managed to get into the Fitirea Community Polytechnic School of um, Bridging, Health Science Bridging. So from there, I started off with the nursing background, with the degree, uh, diploma, then the degree, then got into postgrad. And for postgrad, um, at that time, getting into the master's program, I had worked in Tokelau, but the key things that I was very, very passionate about that drove me to doing the PhD was um, seeing, being exposed to um, health inequities, uh, being exposed to racism or just things that were happening from um, my experiences of working um, as a nurse um, in Amongst Pacific. And so I developed from there and an, an opportunity came through uh, my uh, researcher. We got into this research project and my uh, supervisor 
gave me this opportunity uh, whether I wanted to do a PhD doctorate. And from there I thought, oh, no thanks. But um, I changed my mind. Um, they um, gave me this opportunity and we worked together. And the um, supervisor at the time was um, Riz Firestone, Tupa Ilavali Lingi Firestone, at uh, CPR, which is uh, now called Hauora Health Research Centre, um, which is uh, at Massey University. So that's how I came about um, deciding to do the PhD doctoral studies. Thanks. And through your, I guess, your nursing background and career, I think it's worth pointing out, and you mentioned this in your PhD, that you had multiple stints working uh, in Tokelau. Oh, absolutely. Isn't that correct? So you have actually yes. have a background working both in New Zealand yes. and and back home culturally. Yes, Could yes. You tell us a little bit about those uh, those trips yeah. and how they were oh, part of the inspiration for of this. that. Um, uh, we went on a holiday. My older brother, um, Holevai, and his wife, uh, Epe, wanted to take my mother over for a holiday, and uh, he suggested the idea, and I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to come with you guys. And um, my first, I had no idea of what Takela was all about, um, you know, going on the boat, getting onto the barge and arriving on island. That was all a big um, adjustment for me as a New Zealand born uh, and when we went from then onwards my last week I was sitting in the Omo which is a, um, a, a resort a, a wee, um, the Omo is like a kitchen area in the Takelawan um, with my auntie Taulima and um, I was quite moved just to see the environment in Tokelau. And I think that's where my passion came from. So we returned back to New Zealand, and um, from there I, um, I'm getting a bit emotional only because my um, dear aunt passed away uh, in uh, 2020, I think, and memories are all coming back to me <laughs> of those times. Uh, so we came back to New Zealand, and from there the... Um, the director of health, I managed to contact him. He was um, Kahimilo Perez, and um, he gave me the opportunity to work in Tokelau. So I took uh, 20, 20, sorry, 2002, uh, while I was at Massey Uni doing an um, assistant lecturing job. Um, they had asked if I was interested and keen, so that was coming to an end, and so I said, yes, of course. And I worked in Takelau, and my experiences in Takelau, I will never forget um, having to work with the resources as what is available, um, and as a New Zealand born, when you walk into these environments, you have all these high expectations and your expectations get easily dropped down and you work within what is there. Um, there have been several situations where, so for example, at the time that I was there in the hospital, we had about five broken stethoscopes. So what I did, I thought, okay, stop moaning, just break the all break them all up and make one. So I made I managed to develop a stethoscope and um, uh, but also put an order in for a couple more stethoscope um, in the hospital. Yeah, so that's just the clinical side. But there was also the cultural side that I had to abide by because at the time I was quite young, I was in my 30s, and the um, my uh, senior nurses were all in their 50s and their 60s. So that was a, a, a cultural um, gap there, but... You know, when you work alongside them and you still treat them as your matuas, you, you know, although the role that you have, you know, it's a senior role, but you work with your matuas to get things done. And I learned that in a um, hard way, hard but good, because, you know, when you get scolded, you learn from there and you move forward. Um, it's all about relationship building on um, on island, you, um, your presence, your mannerism, how you uh, 
uh, approach people and sort of things like that. So, yeah, um, language-wise was another thing because I'm a fluent Samoan speaker and um, fluent in English. However, my hakatoke lao, I was still brand new at it. So, therefore, my teachers, my best teachers were the children who would mock me if I get it wrong and would mock each other if I teach them English. But I managed to get through with the basics, you know, the times that you give the tablets and... Uh, what times of tablets or explanations, but overall it was an um, incredible opportunity to work with these wonderful people who've now passed on, but um, some of the nurses are still there. Yeah, so that's my um, New Zealand. Is, I mean, there's more to talk about, but um, I guess that was just a nutshell of being able to work in this environment, um, the context of Tokelau, and... Um, you can't save the world. It's um, There were several uh, situations. So we had a collapse, a person with a heart attack, and they would come on the boats, and when they actually arrive, we're doing CPR as they've been carried through, and you can only do what you can because of the environment of Tokelau. And for me, what I had seen um, here in New Zealand in hospitals, we have trauma uh, resource rooms. We just close the curtains and you work in the person, then you come out. Whereas in Tokelau, you have your clinics, and then the whole village sits outside, and that's that's our way of supporting the families. And we, until often, the resource is not successful and um, would come out, but the family and the whole of the village, I love the way that we work together to support the family, and then we take the, the body back. And back then, in 2002, we never had a morgue, so we would have lotto, which is... Um, me, which is a lotu, a prayer um, service in the morning, but throughout the night, different um, gaingas would come and pay their respects to help the gaingas to um, with their grief and their mourning, and then so we'd all take the body into the church, have the service, and when somebody dies on island, the the bell goes off. It rings to indicate to the rest of the people that we have a death on island. And then in the morning when we get up, we prepare for the service and everybody helps the kāinga by attending the service, doing the food. Um, for the actual body, there's a, a club or um, there are people who are allocated to build the coffin um, measure the body, and that's the the, the men, the manga, and um, then with the woman and myself and the nurses, we would lay out the body and we get the family involved and we dress them and wash. So then, yeah, and then we take, then we travel after the lotu, everybody gets into the whaka and we go out to the outer island to bury um, the body. There are um, other islands, so this one was specifically in Hokaho. There are other islands like Nukunonu um, who have their cemeteries on island, and also Atahu have cemeteries on island, and it's just down by um, just past the hospitals, past, yeah, it's, it's beautiful um, areas, yeah. So that's part of my <laughs> experiences um, working in Tokelau, yeah. And living through that and experiencing that firsthand, you can see so clearly how that would give you a whole new perspective yes, on, on healthcare and healthcare systems in comparison to, say, the healthcare systems that we have in New Zealand from yes. everything to do with well-being and holistic approach to, to healthcare and life and, and death and no wonder you ended up on this this path of down to be this person to do this research. Yes, absolutely. It was that very um, passion that drove me to this because um, I've taken a lot of things for granted here in New Zealand and um, my um, education has always been um, New Zealand system um, 
institution. And then when I went to Tokelau, I learned the the culture of institution of how my people work socially and culturally. You know, that's the real essence of being a Tokelauan. Yes. I think it's also worth um, pointing out again is that you also have uh, Samoan heritage because yes. the title of your PhD talks about uh, well-being amongst Pacific people in yes. Aotearoa and it's worth stating that you know so much of your your journey uh, to this PhD yes. is based around uh, Tokelau but it also yeah. is, is somewhat of a representation for a wider Pacifica communities. Absolutely. I think it's worth mentioning that at the start that you you come to this research with sort of a variety of a yes. mixed background which I'd yes. say maybe makes you you know particularly well placed to, to yeah. think about how Pacific people as as one people, but also different groups of people approach a healthcare system um, because, you know, not everyone is the same. That's and right. you, you have That's written right. this PhD for a, a greater group of people, but also yeah. recognising differences. Yeah, there's huge differences with the different ethnic um, cultural communities. And that is the key point when it comes to um, the word Pacific. A lot of people clump the Pacific ethnicity into one. However, um, and it's not good, it's a mouth. <laughs> yeah, you're doomed for disaster. Um, but however, there are commonalities that we have um, in amongst um, some of our Pacific um, natures and the way they and one of the key ones would be uh, collective orientation, yes. Hannah has been working in the healthcare system since the 1990s. Over the last 30 years, there have been many reports, policies and action plans from the Ministry of Health and other organisations relating to the health of Pacific people in Aotearoa. In 1994, the Public Health Commission released a report called The Health of Pacific Islands People in New Zealand. It highlighted that the health of Pacific populations warranted specific consideration for two reasons. The first was because Pacific people were some of the fastest growing ethnic minority communities in New Zealand. And the second was because of how little was known about Pacific people's perceptions of their health and well-being. Then in 1997 and 1998, two further major reports were published, as well as another one in 2002. The findings of all reports revealed that the New Zealand health system was not meeting the needs of Pacific peoples, and that the quality of services had to improve in order to effect a positive change in Pacific people's health outcomes. In 2010, a four-year action plan was created. And finally, in 2020, the Ministry of Health published a new Pacific Health and Wellbeing Action Plan, Ola Manuia, 2020-2025. Now, fast forward to Hana's PhD in this podcast app, and we have Maupopo. A lot of research has been directed towards the healthcare of Pacific peoples, but what seems to be missing is a focus on socio-cultural aspects. We return to the discussion with Hannah recalling the changes she's seen during her time working in the healthcare system. So now when I look at, we're in what, 2020, you know, 2023, um, there are awesome services, you know, that they've um, come up and they've been able to um, provide in this, uh, certain contexts. Now, the other thing that I would also see is um, observe is now um, the system in itself it still needs to pay attention to the socio-cultural. It's it's, it's very structured in its um, way where it doesn't fully uh, support the, um, our people. Um, I don't know what, how to elaborate more on that. It probably come to me. Um, Yeah. So that's what I, would see. So uh, there has been significant improvements, but the inequity in the structural systems is still there. Um, when we look at policies and the way that decisions are made, it hasn't been thoroughly looked into the issues. Um, and I guess it's time to pay attention to it. 
Absolutely. And I imagine mm. that was part of your decision making when you decided, no, I need to do this PhD. Yes. I won't say no, I'll eventually say yes. Yes. Was you recognizing that not only are this are there gaps that need to be filled, but yeah. that you potentially had the capability to offer some lens. some version of a fr- of, of a framework. <laughs> a lens. Yeah. 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 Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, Hannah, when we eventually work our way to your framework of Mapopo and when you yes. were figuring out how you wanted to yes. pursue your own lens of, of healthcare and wellbeing was other uh, I guess Pacific health models and frameworks. You're very generous in your PhD with referencing lots of other people, be it uh, researchers and academics, health managers, nurses that have have contributed, their, contributed yeah. to the, the literature of That's their own incredible. models and, and frameworks yes. and you mentioned that there are sort of individualities to these models, but yes. there's a common theme of a need for health and service delivery approaches to be culturally relevant and culturally adaptive, including focusing more on family and communities mm. rather than being centered on individuals. Can you tell us, I guess, about, you know, when you were you were going through the literature and reading about these other Pacific health models, how those the similarities and the differences inspired you to sort of pursue your own framework, yeah. how they contributed to that yeah. that process? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the, the models that have been developed, I was really inspired by the, um, the people, the Pacific people. So each um, ethnic group had their own uh, um, uh, models, health models, and they would come from their lens, often of island-born and often of New Zealand-born uh, Pacific uh, health workers who had developed these models. And in here, I sat back and um, there was only one Tokelauan model that I, um, well, the, in fact, at the time, it was just the model, um, Tokelau, and that was Te Tahanga, which was designed by Cooper Cooper. And um, when my supervisor said to me um, to go through and, you know, synthesise through all the, the models and see what you actually um, is, uh, you know, advantages or disadvantages, how it can best help and that sort of thing. And for me, I felt, oh, I don't want to critique other people's models. It's not for me to critique because it's their perspectives from their ethnic groups. However, in the parts where you could see how it best approaches into the families, um, the waka atahanga was used, used as the example of a youth and their family and how it supports the kāinga. And I love that. I love the um, the kāinga approach. There were other models also. It had the kāinga approach it has. And um, so for me, when I looked at it, um, I saw how it came about. I was thinking of a framework, of a Tokelauan framework. So part of me was wanting to use the tiha. Um, so the tiha is the mother of pearl in Tokelauan. And in the Tokelau culture, uh, the tiha is used for fishing. The master fishermen, we call the tautai, and they uh, would shape a fishing hook from the mother of pearl. And um, so it's the different colours of the mother of pearl when they go fishing. And they would have to, um, some of them would test, some of them don't. It's like, um, it's the colours that uh, attracts the different types of fish uh, in the depths of the ocean. And with the mother of pearl, you, the colours of the mother of um, of the hook, it's not effective in daylight nor moonlight or uh, um, room light, but it's more effective in the depth of the moana, way in the depth of moana when it's used. And for me, that's deep insight. So that was the sort of uh, framework that I would look in. You know, you've got to look deeper into, you can see things on the surface, but there's depth of wisdom and um, and my Tokelauan uh, culture uh, for Dayainas and Matoas, there's always insight, you know. And uh, I mean, even with the youth, you become deep thinkers too. That's called. And so with frameworks, I felt in my heart I would love to use this. 
However, Mao Popo was in 2015 for me was the most, I love the word, I, I knew that Mao Popo applies to majority of the ethnic um, Pacific groups. Uh, however, with um, the Tokelau culture and the worldview that I wanted to introduce, Mao Popo was a a lot more um, is about the entity, it's about our nuku and how we work together. So, yeah, I came to, yeah, using that and I got inspired to start on that framework, a theoretical framework for this, um, a research approach also, yeah. In seeking to create the Maupopo healthcare model, Hana came up with three key research aims. The first is to draw on Tokelau knowledge of cultural, historical and social environment to better understand the influences on Pacific health and well-being. The second is to examine strategies of health empowerment and well-being amongst Pacific youth. And the third is to examine service delivery models which can lead to improved Pacific health outcomes. This trio of focus points formed the key research drive that Hannah took into her data collection and interviews for the PhD. Did it take you a while to come up with those three? Were, were I guess, you know, for example, was youth something that was always going to be crucial? Yes. Those specific so, three research aims, yeah. how did they Thank come to be? Thank you for raising that, because in the beginning of the actual PhD, I was already working with youth through um, Dr. Riz Firestone, who is now an, an associate professor. So her and I, she um, uh, had two projects, which is Chewing the Facts on Fat, which is um, Pacific Youth again, and it's looking at the foods and it's um, how we um, and our lifestyles and that. So, and then from that that project, we moved. She um, moved into the youth empowerment, and um, so it was youth that we were looking at. And basically, as we see, the youth, the Pacific Youth, and the generation now, it's. Uh, a very enlightening, very unique, and I think they can address the issues way better from my generation, even the you know um, to this day and age. And so, the the they were the instrumental um, lot that we wanted in the uh, study for the PhD. So it was it started off with youth, however, and then. I look, because I come from a background with um, we embrace, so if it's the youth, then you have your parents and the grandparents who help the youth to get them from A to B if they were to lead um, a particular, uh, particular um, projects. And the elders are always there to support them. Um, and then for me, when I looked at the services, it's really important to have the um, input of the stakeholders, of the uh, people who actually work in the system. And so that's how I came about with having to think through <laughs> um, the different groups that I have. And so I ended up, I think I landed with five um, different groups, five groups, was the elders, the Tokelau leaders, the Tokelau adults, the youth, and um, stakeholders, yeah. My favourite part was the da data collection, um, where you build your rapport with your participants, um, but prior to walking into the houses or things like that, and when you, yes, it is a interview but for me they were telling their stories and um, it was really significant for me to capture the right essence of uh, where they would so what would happen um, when I'd finished the interview I would transcribe and these uh, transcripts were up to about 22 pages um, so that's in English and then I would know first if it's the elders if it was in Takalawan I would uh, transcribe in Takalawan and then translate it into English. That's right. Which is such a significant amount of work. I mean, any yeah. PhD takes a significant amount of work, but the extra level of having yes. to make sure that that cross-cultural understanding yes. was was landing 
even just for having the interview yeah. with someone to to capture their story. I mean, I guess really is representative of this this whole process, right? The understanding of yeah. people's backgrounds and their storytelling and what is what is truth to them is. That's I, right. I guess your process Absolutely. in some ways kind of mirrored the the findings, the the takeaways. I do want to ask about. You know, your your first research aim being to to draw on oh, yes. knowledge of culture and history and yes. social environments. And you identify, which I guess must have been a difficult job, with all the interviewees that you spoke to in their stories to condense the the findings into sort of seven key themes. Yes. In as small or larger as detailed effort as you want to. Could you tell us about some of those themes up to you, whether you want to talk about all of them or pick out some of them, some of the key things that you found across all the, the interviews um, that were reflective of of how the the people that you spoke to across the five different groups, the elders, yes. the community leaders, the adults, the youth yeah. and the health and policy workers. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, James. Um, I guess, like, I had to separate, first do the findings of each of the groups. Um, so therefore, for the elders and the Tokelauan leaders, uh, significant um, findings of the way in which the environment was and how we, they, when they, they were raised, it was using, utilising the resources that's already on island. And it was incredible to find out about the Lahu, which is the Takalau oven pit, the um, Vaka Malanga going out to the outer islands to provide the foods uh, to back to the Kainga. And, you know, there were several, uh, the fishing, um, so there was different types of fishing methods, but that's for the Tautai. But it indicated to me the whole way of life. Um, and and inati, which is a, um, a distribution, village distribution of um, food and resources. Um, also, like the different types of food, like fake, um, having bulaka. This, these were local foods that was provided. So these findings were coming through because um, often, um, so for example, um, they don't use the canoes in Tokelau anymore. They use dinghies um, now. And so local foods and even the way in which um, we would gather in the way, yeah. So that a lot of the findings was a whole lot of insights from my from the elders. Um, so the gang and the village traditional way of um, living. So for example, weddings back then, It'll be both families coming in to discuss um, the wedding, and but now decisions uh, are discussed. You bring this, we'll bring that, or don't bring this, or you bring this, or they don't even discuss that now. Whereas back then, everybody comes together and they work together for whatever resources is in their hands. Then they um, work together from that, and you have the beautiful outcome of a um, beautiful wedding and whereas um, and that's like with funerals too you know families always come together so findings in terms of um, the so I had the Takalao adults so these were the first generations second generation the the New Zealand born so they were they would share their stories of, of living here in New Zealand, but the way the parents still carried the culture. And so, for example, um, we would uh, it was it was normal to live in houses of up to thirteen people living in a three bedroom house. Um, those that was in the seventies and the eighties, and we would travel to visit family, and this that's the sleeping arrangements. That's how we. So there was lots of um, insights from the um, New Zealand-born generation um, of even of their expectations with their parents or the or the clashes or even um, how the parents would support them throughout the schools um, and to do with um, health and well-being. And one of the key things out of these three groups, um, obesity was never discussed 
um, although the the project has started off with looking at obesity and the way, but everybody kept talking about well being, about well being. So we had to like restructure the actual PhD in its course of what was actually in the data, because obesity can also be a deficit model, whereas well being it's more ola, it's alive. You could yeah, it's a holistic, and then so that's the. Majority of findings from the um, adults, Takelau and um, New Zealand-born adults, and then there was the youth, a dynamic bunch who, um, in their findings, um, I found them very strong advocates. And once they would get information, they would research a lot and and see what would be beneficial for the communities and quite outspoken on issues. And then the stakeholders, so. Um, it's the inequities within the systems that was coming up. Uh, so therefore, in the main findings, um, I had seven findings that I had um, outlined in here. It was, I started off as we do, <laughs> up to 13 or 14 findings. So um, the seven key themes would be guiding um, our values, uh, duty of care, which is te tautua, and maintaining family relationships, whaikaainga, um, interconnectedness, which was um, huihokotakinga, and spirituality, which is olanga hokateanganga, and health advocacy, and impacts of inequity. So that's how... Um, I had to group across, yeah, the um, the findings, and come up with this, but um, the analysis, if I can talk about the analysis of getting to the themes, <laughs> it was a mammoth task. It was so huge. Um, it's like a, a a tidal wave coming at you three times, um, and you're having to swim through it. But I tell you, if the more persistent, you know, you you get back into it, you take a breather, then you get back into it, it comes, it comes clearer and clearer until the point you're swimming in a translucent lagoon. And what I mean by that is um, the analysis phase is the the grouping of, of each of them and then you had to work across the um, analysis uh process. So one of the, the points of one of the themes that I was really interested in talking about was it came under under theme one of Kainga that you speak about collective identity as being really important to consider within healthcare systems and yes. and how predominantly within Aotearoa New Zealand healthcare comes from the sort of individualistic or biomedical point of view, but within that first theme you, and everything you have spoken about is this importance of of community and, and family and groups of people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about that as a value and a theme and how that is so important as, as when we think about well-being and holistic approaches to, yeah, to sort you. of healthcare, that, mm-hmm. that kind of idea of collective identity and, and family was, was something that shined through the yes, interviews? Yes, absolutely. Um, um, it did shine through a lot of the um, interviews. Um, every uh, participant, the um, principal is um, gainga values, yeah, looking after your gainga. And see, um, with going through the research and writing up the discussion chapter, um, the findings is like uh, the collective orientation is a strength in many of the cultures and indigenous populations like, for example, Māori, First Nations, Canada and those of Pacific and there have been significant scholars, uh, sorry, wealth of um, literature written up by scholars and um, academics and they literally um, note uh, for example, the definitions of health, which is emphasizes um, spiritual, physical, and um, uh, holistic dimensions, and so the core components linked into co- uh, collective orientation is identity, and um, so taking a, a collective approach is a, a 
a pragmatic approach for a gainga approach as a pragmatic approach and also it gets the community to take ownership of their health um, and the programs and that's the benefits of working together with the communities and its values um, especially the um, Pacific uh, values uh, to be able to recognise that that's how we uh, operate and that's our kaupapa that's how um, that's how we that's how we roll. <laughs> and one of the other the themes that you talk about is interconnectedness and I'm just thinking about the the stories you told of your time working in Pokalao. Oh, yes. All of that that interconnectedness and the contribution that everyone plays within uh, a sort of healthcare scenario. Absolutely. Taking that framework that you experienced and then applying it to the New Zealand lens. Yes. And and you speak about this importance of engaging and working with communities kind of localised levels rather than a top-down approach. I can absolutely see how those stories from Thukalau, when you compare that to experiences of working and observing the healthcare system mm. in New Zealand, there's a big difference in there's terms huge of difference. how interconnectedness plays mm. out within that system. Interconnectedness also is about looking after one another and the Tokelauan worldview. Uh, but that's also um, in the systems uh, here in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, we have systems that we you can't cross that parameter. And there's reasons why. I can see the ethical and legal um, reasons why. But there's also um, moments and times that's so impractical. <laughs> But it harnesses the bond between families interconnectedness. It's uh, an incredible um, strength from um, independence to interdependence. And people often view um, uh, from those who are collectively orientated, like um, in Te Re, uh, Kaupapa Māori, you know, elders will see those who are strongly independent, want to do things all on their own, can be a sign of immaturity if you don't want to share <laughs> things. But there's the flip side, it's kind of like um, you self-determine everybody. Mm. And then the the final theme, or at least the, the theme numbered number seven, yes. is impacts of inequity. And I thought that that sort of naturally moved yes. your your findings and your analysis into that kind of, well, what are the key takeaways and recommendations here? Because yes. the impacts of inequity, you speak about so, so many things. The the example of, you know, there being Pacific health units in some some areas of New Zealand, but them naturally being overworked and understaffed, the, the sort of need for yeah. translators in some circumstances, um, you know, the natural natural progression of of you thinking well there is inequity what are the impacts on the system and then i guess the next step is well you know what needs to change and and that i i found that theme number seven was was particularly confronting and thinking about yeah. what needs to change Absolutely. within the new zealand context yeah. and you know to be fair james now that i look at um What's happened in the New Zealand health reform, there are aspects in there where the health providers and how they've worked, they they are, you know, these long-term goals, these short-term goals, to be fair, um, and the work that the um, those who have done work in the policies, um, oh, sorry, in the strategies for health, um, particularly for Pacific, they have acknowledged that there is work in progress. Like um, for me, when I saw that there's the Māori Health Authority um, team, that to me was a significant, and that comes from, um, what was it, the Y report, um, you know, because there's, and with Pacific here and its inequities, um, what has been um, identified here in this actual study. Uh, I mean, I must admit, throughout the whole um, study, my whole themes, the inequity was rife, totally, but how I had shaped it was to bring it into this, and it was, this is um, quite upfront to, um, and it's basically for improvement, more and more improvements of um, what needs to be um, captured in our health system. 
and iniquity. Um, I, I like what was written up by, um, yeah, by it was noted in um, Southwick, Margaret Southwick. Um, uh, so iniquity. Sorry, it was a document that was um, a specific health document that they had looked into. And inequity is built into health systems and equity is achieved only by good policy and managing the policy. So such management is only policy is only possible with good data. So while they were investigating into these um, uh, reports and things like that, you know, the data was just so not... Um, at its uh, level of standard to be able to articulate the situations. And the, um, I guess what I wanted to also say is um, it's not only here in New Zealand but internationally, like um, Kamara Jones um, in the US, like inequity has its roots in the dominant culture, racist thinking involving policy development. Now that to me was quite confronting to write in here, but in, to, in my heart is like I have to put it in because that's the reality of what is actually happening into the systems. And also... Um, Dr. Anna Matheson, you know, they argue that institution racism has been clearly evidence for um, Indigenous populations. And um, while also uh, Ryan, um, Dr. Mary Ryan, they point out the stigma and discrimination that's, that exists in the health system, healthcare system. So, you know, there's um, evidence of um, Pacific people not feeling welcome when they walk into you know, providers, health providers, even in hospitals. Um, so, you know, th those are the sort of things that can de-escalate common stresses for um, Māori and Pacific people. Uh, and they also say it's acknowledged in here in this work too. Um, again, it's Kamara Jones and um, Talame Val. They acknowledge um, the other person is um, Karina Gray, who also works in uh, uh, does work on inequities too. And it's like acknowledging that racism operates at multiple levels in various pathways to health. And the first level is internalised racism, so like it's an interpersonal level, and then involving attitude, belief or ideology. And this is often founded on understanding of um, supposedly innate um superiority and inferiority that may be held of the dominant social groups. And there's another level, it's interpersonal racism, personally mediated, which refers to racism between people and varying degrees of frequencies and intensity. So there's several other levels, and the third level is systemic, um, structural institutional racism, which um, involves the production, control, and access to material and information. So you know these are the 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 structural things that uh, I see coming through within the health, uh, yeah, and um, health system. And I guess at this moment in time where we're at with the health reform coming through, you know, I'm hoping um, it's been years, you know. Good old 30 years, it's the same um, people, it's the same argument, it's the same, um, but, you know, let's not um, look at, you know, let's be hopeful. Yeah, if I could put it that way, it will address these barriers <laughs> eventually. To bring our discussion to a close, we asked Hannah about her perspectives on hope personal reflections on her work and takeaways for implementing a more effective, culturally relevant approach to Pacific Communities Healthcare in New Zealand. It's great that you've completed it, but at the same time, um, in reflection, on reflection, um, you know, I know myself that Maopopo is a very practical, to be able to um, apply that is um, you've got to be able to bring the people to an understanding as to the how it could actually work. And um, the key takeaways in here, in Maopopo, uh, I also um, designed uh, five phases to be able to um, pr practical and looking into the um, 
the space of using it. So um, I'm just looking up the actual five phases because I can't remember it off the top of my head. I know that the planning, the bena benanga is the, um, the planning and preparing. And then it's the hokaheoa uh, where you distribute knowledge. Um, is the other one, and also Kikila Mamao. There's actually, um, if I could just find yeah, the go actual, for it. Find the page. yeah, find the page and be really clear on the actual approach, <laughs> um, because it's really, it's really good. Um, the key phases. So, Tapenapenanga uh, is preparation and planning. You always have to prepare. You always, and for the researcher or the person that's involved in the project, um, what look out for the roadblocks, anticipate what could happen. Hakahua um, is sharing and gathering of the information. It was like data collection, listening, and you know your approaches, the sensitivity around there. And then there's huli huli malie. Hulihulimalie is the analysis process, but hulihulimalie, you have to overturn every aspect, every corner, every area of the actual project in order for you to understand that you're going to move forward um, and, and draw out the key uh the key themes, the key responses, and then that's hutuhatuhaki is the knowledge distribution. So the knowledge you are sharing and you're distributing out to contribute to um, families, gaingas and things like that. Whereas kikila mamao, you're looking far and beyond, you're looking in the future, you're visionary, um, and it's future thinking, uh, how can this be best to uphold the interest of the public, uphold the interest of the people is kikila mamao, and not just here in the now, like five years, okay, strategy, how do we look into these things? So that's how I look at the, um, the mao bo bo approach and its key phases to be able to help in the arena of uh, academics, research, or even projects it can be used in the aspects. A big thank you to Hana for coming on to PhD Unpacked and speaking with us. If you're looking to learn more, you can have a read of Hannah's PhD, which can be found in the bio for this episode. On the next episode of PhD Unpacked, we talk to Dr. Gwyn Easterbrook-Smith about their PhD, illicit drive-through sex, migrant prostitutes, and highly educated escorts. Productions of Acceptable Sex Work in New Zealand News Media, 2010 to 2016. People on temporary visas are not allowed to work or invest in the sex industry in New Zealand. Section 19 of the PRA restricts them from doing that. Uh, so that means even if someone is legally allowed to work in other industries, so if they say on a student visa, which grants them the right to work for a certain number of hours per week, or if they're on a working holiday visa, they can work in, they are not allowed to work in the sex industry. That's a breach of their visa conditions. It places migrant workers at a higher risk of exploitation um, because if their boss, say, is forcing them to work longer hours than they want to, or trying to pay them less than was agreed, they don't have the same kind of legal comeback that other sex workers do, because they're working in breach of their visa conditions. To keep up with the various podcasts and projects that Coalesce are producing, head to at CoalesceNZ on Instagram. And for more from us, it's at PhDUnpacked on Instagram. As always, Thank you to Wellington Access Radio for the interview spot. And thank you for listening. Ma Sewa.